So we're back with Steve and we're here to talk about your recent trip to Canada and flying the Hawker Hunter with ITPS. Can you tell us about this and how it even came about? Yeah, sure, Mike. Um, I obviously have been involved with Hunters for a long time and it sort of got around. Um, and one of the chaps in Canada, he's actually a flight test engineer himself, had seen the interview uh, that I had done and also saw my book that was advertised. And he bought it, he enjoyed the book, and contacted me. He's an ex-South African living in Canada, and um, he just had, must have got chatting with the guys there. And then out of the blue, he called me up and said, listen, these guys have got themselves a hunter, which is Chief Fox from way back when, and said that they'd like to speak to you about flying. Yeah, they, none of them had flown a hunter before. In fact, one guy had done a, some flying at... Um, Boscombe down 25 years or something ago, and he did a bit of on a T7, but they still wanted to chat to me because they knew my experience. So I said, yeah, well, sure. I, the only thing is about it, it's got a small engine. I knew you the hunter with a big engine. They said, no, no, we'll have a chat. <laughs> and so that's what happened. There were the, the three of them. The two of them are the hunter pilots involved in the ITPS. Tiago Makido, he's, he's the Brazilian. He was in the test project pilot, test pilot, and other guys, Elaine, and he's a, a French-Canadian uh, from the Canadian Air Force. And the third guy was an Australian, um, <laughs> very multicultural, but uh, multinational. But um, he, he was just the uh, deputy training manager. And they sat down and checked it to me. And as it turned out, we spoke for, oh, it must have been two hours. And, of course, the hunter's the hunter. The only difference was the power side of it. And they wanted to know about the handling characteristics and that. And, uh, yeah, at the end of it, the, they were very pleased. And, in fact, Loris, the chip of Basson, the chap who contacted me, got hold of me in a couple of days and said, no, they're very happy with them. And that was it. So now we're sitting around for two months, um, at least two months, two or three months, and I suddenly get an email from Tiago, the Brazilian project pilot, and he said, how do you like to come and fly the hunters with me on its first flight? Wow. <laughs> said, I'd love to. <laughs> and um, he said, well, now we're going to try and sort out your licensing. Now, I've, I've got uh, a class two medical. I haven't actually got a current license. All I've got to do, the, the, the Australian authorities have given me the authority to fly the Hunter if I go and do what they call a flight review on a single engineering aircraft. Now, that could be a Cessna. No. <laughs> and then I, and then I can jump into a Hunter based on my, that's how they work it. They class Hunter as an experimental aircraft. So with all the experience I've got, they just want to make sure I keep the wings level, I think, and then you can go and jump in your hunter. And at that stage, you can fly the aircraft, but you can't fly over cities. You know, they don't mind you killing yourself, but don't kill our people type of thing. So, that, that, so now I had, I had a class two medical, and I had the authority to fly the hunter if I'd done this flight test, which I haven't got a hunter to fly. It is another story behind that. But um, so he said, okay, well, send us all your information, um, my logbooks and my... Um, licensing and all that sort of stuff. And they came back and the Canadians gave me the hunter on my, based on my Australian airline transport pilot's license to fly that hunter. And that's the only license I've got at the moment. Wow. Is a Canadian license authorized to fly the hunter. And that was two weeks before I was due to go across. So bearing in mind, Mike, at this stage, I'm not their first choice, I don't think. <laughs> at age 75, I'm sure they looked around. I know that. And, um, but obviously, there are too many hunter pilots around at the moment to endorse, you know, who've got a license. So it, things happened very quickly from then on. Um, I got my license. Um, I got all this paperwork. I got, uh, they asked me how much I want to be paid. And I said, 
that's a first for me because <laughs> I probably do this for fun time. And, and I said, and I said, listen, you must have some sort of um, standard that you pay people. And they sent me this agreement, this huge contract, and it was very comfortable, you know. So that was chuffed. And the next minute, I got my my air tickets, and away I went. And um, yeah, we flew across uh, LA to Toronto, and um, I picked up my. It's just so professional. I can't explain it. Fine. Anyway, I arrived at the place, and um, I met Lou, um, Lou, um, the chap who uh, Loris who who introduced me. And then on Monday morning, Tiago came and picked me up and took me to the airport. And this is now the project pilot. Young guy, 40-year-old, Brazilian, lovely guy. And, and I've got to say at this stage right now, um, I think as pilots, we always put test pilots at a certain level, perhaps above us, because I know I've seen how much these guys have to study. And this is um, in Rhodesia. This is not even at a test pilot school. And um, you're sort of expecting a bit of an ego or something like that. Nothing, just a lovely guy. Welcome, come and see me. <laughs> Plus, looking at me at the 75 year old as well, but it couldn't be more pleasant. When I got there, I found the same with all these guys. And um, I, I then went and um, from there, I went and met the boss, uh, uh, Giorgio Clementi. He's a South African born Italian, Italian born South African, whichever way around. And he has got 41 years in the industry. He started off in the South African Air Force as a technician, eventually became a flight test engineer. He, and I didn't fully full story, except he was in it for a long time. For the last 30 years, he'd been flight testing in, um, fixed wing and helicopters. He then bought the company in the UK. Oh, wow. And, it's, yeah, the Canadians must have given, given him a huge reward to come and set up his company there. So he took it across there. And it's now the biggest independent uh, test pilot school in the world. Um, and he's got a hangar full of airplanes. I sent you a photograph, I think, of some of the aircraft he's got there. And... Um, yeah, he said, yeah, welcome, you know, and he was very pleasant. And once again, very quickly I said to him, I know I'm just a tick in the box here because the bottom line is the Canadians haven't got an experimental category. Hmm. So, yeah, Tiago's got, he's flown 51 different aircraft. He's only 40 years old. He was a major in the Brazilian Air Force and a test pilot trained at um, United States Navy Test Pilot School. And he flew T-38s, F-16s, F-18s, Mirage 2000s, all these, all these sort of things. So he could have jumped in and just flown. I know that. He knows that. Everyone knows that. But the Canadians wouldn't accept that, which was good for me because now they needed this pilot. <laughs> <laughs> so I said it to both to, to Giorgio, the owner, and Giorgio, I know I'm just here for one purpose, and that's just so that you can fly this aeroplane. And they wanted it flying. It's taken four years to get to the stage. And I'll talk about the aircraft in, in a while. But um, so they, they had a schedule where they wanted to fly it, and it was that's why it happened so quickly. And um, and they said, no, no, we appreciate you've come across here, and I'm sure there'll be uh, your help for us. I was actually pilot in command, even though I was sitting on the right hand side, mm. and there wasn't anything in front of me that could help me fly the airplane much. Um, but I was pilot in command and classed as a sort of safety officer, a safety pilot, if you want to call it that. And I said, I'm just happy with that. I'm flying in a hunter. I'm very happy. And, you know, I wasn't going to go across there. No, I, I just knew that I was happy to be there. And they said, no, fine, I'm sure you can, you'll be able to help us. And as it turned out, it turned out to be true. I was able to, quite a bit of input, and they accepted it, you know, um, very humbly, if you want to call it that, you know, because I, at 75, wasn't going to try and push my way to it. But anyway, so, so that was, a, it took a while to get in the work permit because things happened quite quickly. The weather was a couple of days were quite bad. And then we started the program. And it's so, I mean, you can imagine that you've got um, 
about 20 flight test pilots, including probably a third of them were flight test engineers. Hmm. And they training, while I was there, there were Turkish test pilots, training test pilots, um, RAF, I saw RAF, Canadian, Dutch, South African. Wow. Um, yeah, all these guys. There would have been about 30 of them there. And a huge complex with classrooms, little classrooms all the way around. And a lovely, uh, for our briefings, they've got this board, um, whiteboard, not a whiteboard, it's a big TV screen, and they can pick up NOTAMs, weather, from anywhere. And there are a lot of airfields around. This is around London, Ontario, which is mm-hmm. about 100 miles west of, of um, Toronto. And so it was just, everything was just so professional. So the, on the... Um, about the, on the third day, we, he was he he taxied the aircraft before Tiago had, but he wanted to do the um, to do a taxi test first with the parachute. But prior to that, um, I had to have, go through the the, Mir- the Martin Baker seat it was a Mark IV, which I'd flown in the Mirage, and also in, the, in, a, in a Hunter as well. But very professional, they had a full briefing, have a strap in on a seat out of the cockpit sort of thing. And that was that. And then I began to get my unit. You've seen my photo, but you must see the photograph. This orange oh, yeah. with yeah. my patch. Anything to find me from a criminal was the patch. <laughs> 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 but I was, I was coming out of a shop once. And they all went to town and everything. And I was coming out of a pizza shop. And two ladies looked at me and I said, don't worry. <laughs> I just had to escape to come and get a pizza. <laughs> so, so that was, and then after that, it, it, it's interesting because I'm actually carrying a, a, at least 10 kilos more than I should be. So now we're now going to get fitted out. Um, so then next was to get the, get the G suit on, the flight suit, and they wear a waistband, which is connected to the oxygen. It's quite complicated, the whole thing. Then, of course, the helmet and everything. All fitted fine. And uh, then we went to Saturn aircraft. Now, you know, the, the old jet fighter is not the easy thing to climb into, I think. But I thought this is going to be interesting. But no problem. We got on the aircraft. And then the river was the cockpit. You've seen the photograph thing. Yeah. It's a completely gas cockpit. It's their own design, in fact. They're using, obviously, stuff from Garmin. I think it's Garmin. One, no, one company, like, I don't know what the company was. And on the right-hand side, it's purely um, a, a strategic type aircraft. The aircraft, the, the Hunter, they call it, um, it's the F5 STA, and that's a fifth-generation surrogate training aircraft. Right. Okay. So, so that, that's the idea. So these guys have designed this aircraft. Um, through Georgia, being the brain, the owner, it's his brainchild, because they want to be able to train. They're flying with a lot of fifth generation pilots there. You know, who've come fourth generation, obviously not many fifth generation. They've probably got a couple of F thirty five guys, but mainly F sixteen guys um, who've come across, and they want to be able to train them on this aircraft. So on the right hand side, it's hot as the, the the controls are as an F thirty five with all the. Oh, wow. Yeah, hot test stuff, yeah. And in front of them is a screen as you would find on an F-35. And uh, the idea being, in the surrogate aircraft, they can train guys on a fifth-generation aircraft, but it's a hunter. So instead of having to go and buy themselves a fifth-generation F-35, they'll be training these guys as a surrogate aircraft. So the, the guy on the left-hand side, which is Tiago and Elaine, the two hunter pilots, they sit on the left-hand side, and the guy sitting in the seat, the t- training test pilots, they will operate the hot ass and all that sort of stuff. It's also got it's got data link with the ground. In fact, I, a lot of the stuff was gobbledygook to me at the time because we were just concentrating on flying the aircraft. Mm-hmm. This all came out afterwards. A guy, Loris, the guy I met over there, he sent me all the information about what it's got. And um, 
So, but Laura, but Tiago did show me that you can set up um, enemy targets on the screen in front of me and attack those targets through the hot ass. I know the whole thing. It was amazing. Plus, they also got a head-up display, which is not a head-up display, or even like the ones that they've got on like F-16. You know, they've got these ones that all the head-up displays. In the, in the, it's in the radical. If you look at that advert, the one I sent you, that, that, that video, it's an advert for SDA. You'll see yeah. Kyogre, that's a pilot, sitting there with this thing. And it wasn't working at the time, but it's all there. And it's so you've now got this 75, I don't know, worked at a 67-year-old aeroplane. <laughs> Your setup, it gets, it gets yeah. more interesting. I don't know the technical side of it. The Hunter was AC and DC aircraft. And what they've done is they've taken out all the AC. So it's only a DC machine now. And they've integrated, they've got two really smart cookies um, um, who, who've done all the electrical stuff and two very smart engineers. One of them South African guys who's worked on Hunters forever and all those, those lightning that came out to Cape Town. He rebuilt those aircraft. Quite a young guy, he's in his mid-40s. Anyway, they integrated the whole thing and got it. It taken four years to get to this particular stage. But the only two things I recognized in Mike in that cockpit was the undercarriage button and the flap lever. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else. Even right. parachute, everything was completely changed. Yeah. Lovely um, uh, uh, master caution panel, much like I used to have in the 737 when I was flying for Qantas. Whereas in the old, uh, the legacy hunter, you had to look for the master, the, the warning signs. <laughs> it all sits there in front of you now. So it was one of it, it's a huge um, junk for me. And also, the other thing I'm proud of the old hunters as well, because that aircraft is now their center point of their operation. They've got L-39s and they've got modern, uh, other modern helicopters and everything, but everyone has a photograph taken at RTPS, they go in front of the hunter. Because you see, it, it looks beautiful as well. It's still in the same black color screen, color scheme, and they look after it like a baby. Now, they love their hunter. They really do. So that, that, that was, that's, so we got to that stage now. And now we're ready to do the taxi test. And now, once again, I'm going to get in and see if I fit in this thing. And I'm, uh, you know, my feet fit and I'm not in any way. Because it's been 20 years since I flew the Hunter in Australia. Mm -hmm. Comfortable. Sat in it, strapped in, and it, in the dark, because we had to do everything in the dark for the airport. Airport's an international airport. So they, in case we had an emergency or something like that, we had to operate close to the airfield before they started other flying. So we, we sat close to the airfield, so strapping every morning in the dark. We did our first taxi test in the high speed with the chase plane flying over every hut to, to, to photograph the whole thing. And uh, that went well. And the next day, he decided we should go and fly and do the, the practice first flight with the L-39. So I sat in this L-39, which is probably one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever done. It's got an ejection seat, but I don't know, the, the checks of actions must be short little guys or something, because I sort of <laughs> 186 foot two, and it, Anyway, it worked. We got in, we did the whole practice to, to test flying, flying close in formation so we'd see the gear coming down, checking speeds. This is test pilot realm, way out of my, my league. Uh, all I was given was that we did a full brief and everything, but I was given a lot of scribing to do. So we practiced that for the first day, and then the next day we were coming to do the flight. And that was first thing in the morning. Um, oh, the whole, the whole of ITPS was there. At, I think we, we taxied out at six. And there was a mist, um, so we were a bit worried about the mist because it's quite common there apparently. But it made everything beautiful because they got these lovely photographs of us. The mist was off the runway, mm -hmm. but we, you know we're taking off into the mist and we got lovely photographs. But it was just, I mean, it was just so exciting man, to go out there 
We went out, the chase plan came up, he took ahead of us, came and took the photo off. Now, bearing in mind, this is something I've never come across before. I, I, doing air tests for me was just writing stuff on a piece of paper. We've, yeah. got, <laughs> we've now got a full computer sitting next to me here, picking up all the information. We've got GoPros all around us, and a little old me scribing in the corner, just for anything extra you know, that was going on. And, uh, of course, we took off. And in our Air Force, we didn't have two-seaters. Most of us came off quite manual-type aircraft. And as you took off and hunted, everyone would come to watch the aircraft in Rhodesia taking off because the blokes all waggled their wings because it's got such slight controls. But, of course, Tiago, with his experience, we went off beautifully. Nothing went wrong at all. We did the whole flying. It was a lovely sunny morning. In the photo, you had some of the shots on the video of us flying around and gear coming down, everything worked beautifully. And he came into the greaser landing. He knew exactly what speed he took off at because the computer told him afterwards exactly what speed. Everything was just was monitored as per really professional outfit, you know. Wow. And as we texted, of course, the whole, the whole, all the RTPS are there. It must be about 50 people. And the boss, Georgia, was beside himself because he'd been waiting for this thing to happen. And as we got up, of course, everyone clapped and everything. And... Tiago got out his side and he got dumped with water. Thankfully, I got out my side and I didn't get any water dumped on me. But they had a big party and a lovely breakfast and everything like it. It was just, I mean, it's one of the nicest experiences of my life. I'm talking about, I'm a 75 year old, you know. And it was about that time, after the second flight we did, I, during the second flight, I remember saying to Tiago, you know, I keep on pinching myself because I never thought I'd be in this position again, in this professional position again. I mean, we did it here in Australia where all the guys put the hunter together and we flew it and it worked fine, you know. But here, everything's done just by them. It is so professional. And to be in that position, to be in that sort of professional environment was just amazing. It really was. But I thought, and about that stage, I thought, I should have thought more about this because, you know, I'm 75 years old. I've had all these, I've had operations, I've had this sort of stuff, and they still want me to come and fly on top of thing. And I didn't, I didn't even question it. I just jumped in the wind. Yeah. And the yeah. nicest thing about it, Mike, is we were driving home after the second flight, and um, he was driving me somewhere, Tiago, and he said to me, I said to my wife this morning, I couldn't have had a better guy sitting next to me flying the sunset. And I'm sure that wasn't his first thought when he first saw me <laughs> and even had to invite me. And I'd said to my wife as well, yes, I couldn't have had a flown with a guy more humble, but also brilliant to have flown with, you know. And so it was that just like, we, we had a lot of laughs, even with the chase plane pilots. We got rid of the chase plane after the first flight because he was too slow. We just, every time we were doing sort of flying, just got way behind. So Tiago said, the plane's flying fine, we'll just do it, on a, you know. And we expected problems. The engineer said to me afterwards, you know what? He said, after got those lightnings flying in, in Cape Town, they had a lot of problems. They had all sorts of snags. And he said, I cannot believe this. I'm sitting on this aeroplane now, and there's nothing wrong with it. You know, after all the changes they've done to it, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it, just to give you a graphic example of one of the changes, the, the automatic on the air conditioning on the Hunter was amazing. You know, you could, whatever you had, whatever speed, uh, you could boil yourself, or you could have ice down at you. And it was all done automatically on AC. But now they took the AC out, so now it had to be manually. So it was our sort of our emergency system that they now use as a normal system. So the, just to show you the, the difference of the aircraft from what I'd flown to what it is now. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it, it, then things got a bit more interesting because I was only supposed to be there two weeks. But they, the Canadians required me to do the flight testing, and I had a class two medical. 
But the chap who was going to do, they wanted another guy to do the endorsement plan, um, which was for Tiago and Elaine, who were going to be, Elaine was going to be the, 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 the training pilot, and Tiago would be the project pilot still. And they needed another guy. Now, they've got a guy organized from, he flies the Dutch Hunter, the private Dutch Hunter. He's an F-16 test pilot for the Dutch mm -hmm. Air Force. And anyway, as it turned out, the Canadians, they were trying to, they were trying to get me to get my first class my medical, which we were trying to organize that, but then I could do both. The Canadians said no. And so they got this Black Patrick across. Lovely guy again. This 55-year-old test, F-16, current F-16 pilot. And he came across and he just fitted right in with all his experience of stuff. And um, we just worked, all of us worked together. I, I did the first three flight tests and then he did about another, he did virtually 10 hours. Tiago did 10 hours. That's what was required by Canadians. Then I went back and did three more flights, one with Tiago and two with Elaine, the other guy, hmm. on the test flying side. But it was interesting during that time that I, I asked if I could sit in on their briefing. Um, because I was in, uh, for the, and while they were doing that, um, I would just try to keep quiet, you know, because these, these are heavies now. You could all these ex, you landed for an F 16s for a long time, saw Drakens, all this sort of stuff, test blind, and Tiago had flown F 16, F 18s. And of course, now you've got a current test pilot uh, who was uh, Patrick. But even now and again, they would say something about the hunter, and I would say, eh, no, you can't do that. This is a, a, a second-generation airplane. You can't do that because it'll bite you. Right. For example, you take the you take the power from the hunter right to idle, like after after landing, and then you want to go around. You put your power; it's going to take you up to eight seconds before it winds up. So, for example, they were playing with flapping wood. And I said, mm, I wouldn't be doing that. It's not you because the F-16. You just do that, and it's it's a turbofan. It'll just power increase. So, and, and Patrick agreed with me at one stage. He said, yeah, I nearly got caught out on final once. Taking the power off to try to reduce speed and then turning final and then trying to get the power up again to hold the speed. No, the plane didn't like it. And he, he, he granted him, he admitted that, which was wonderful. I mean, that shows the, the, the humility and the professionalism of the pilot. So those type of things, I tried to keep it as quiet as I could. But every now and again, because it's, it's second generation aircraft, it'll bite you. You know, if you, the hunter's a pussycat. And, and, they, and a lot of the stuff that we were taught about the Hunter in Rhodesia, and we were dumped into us because we didn't have a two-seater. So we didn't fiddle with stuff that, that like close to the stores or spinning and that type mm -hmm. of stuff because if you got it wrong, it's going to hurt you. So anyway, then we went through that, and um, it, it just went so well, everything uh, along the way. And the, the interaction, we've got a Brazilian, a French-Canadian, an Australian, he, the Australian was just on a, um, he was like, the, he sort of oversaw, uh, he kept everything professional, I suppose, and standard. And then you got the Dutch guy. And we all got on, just got on well together. It was really, really remarkable. In the middle of it all, once um, we went to a couple of barbecues with Georgia, the owner. And one day he said to me, listen, we're going to do a fly past on the L29 on Saturday. And you can go and sit in the back seat with Williams. Williams was a French test pilot. He'd been, I think he might have been in charge. I'm not sure he's in charge of the French test pilot school. Well, not school, but their, their, their establishment. But he had retired. He was doing contracts there. So, <coughs> typically, quite a short guy. I sat in the backseat behind SL29, and Georgia took up another guy. We did a fly pass for one of his employees had passed away. Hmm. We did a fly pass over there. They did the 
pull up and that type of thing. And I got to do a bit of formation. And I hadn't done it for 40 years. And the wonderful thing about it, Georgia was looking back after we landed and he said, when I look back, I saw, um, uh, saw Steve Fly and said, I think he's done that before. <laughs> so that <was> like, <laughs> <laughs> but lovely stuff. And Williams, was, he, I flew the whole break and landing and everything. And he was going to let me land, but I couldn't see in front of me because the seats in the L29, yeah. yeah, and my feet were completely asleep on that stage because they got no height adjustment. So all they do when you sit in the seat, they, they take out cushions until you're the right height. And I had this little cushion about this size, so my legs had gone to sleep in the bucket. Anyway, that was another uh, interesting part of the whole, the whole exercise. And, um, yeah, so we, we went through the right through the whole thing. And now um, I come to something unrelated to the Hunter, which became really fascinating for me. In the hangar, they've got all these different aircraft. First of all, there was this one horrible-looking little single-engine, low-slung low wing aeroplane. And I said to Tiago, I was with him once, I said, what in place is that? He said, it's horrible aeroplane. And he said, it's perfect for us. These guys, these, these, these test pilots, trainees, have to do fly 15 aeroplanes in their um, year at the school. They end up with a, I better get the written down, they end up with a graduate, um, uh, it's, they end up with a degree in a master of flight testing or something degree. And they've got to go through this whole process. So they're going to fly these 15 aircraft and evaluate each one. Oh. And he said, that one's perfect because it's so horrible that they've got a lot to play with. <laughs> 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 then I saw over in the corner an L-39 and Jacks. He said, come and have a look at this. This is a fly-by-wire L-39. So what they've done is they've taken out all the controls, all the original manual controls, and they put it in the computers, and it's going to be fly-by-wire. And what it'll do, it'll... Um, It'll, by being fly by wire, they can make it handle any which way they want. So, to, for the first flight, the guy goes up and it's an L39. So, they just tweak it up, L39, and flies like an L39. Next day, they make it literally unstable or longitudinally stable. And the guy's got to evaluate that and what they can do to sort that out. The next day, they change it again. So, it's once again, it's one of Georgia's brainchilds. Uh, he's made this, so instead of going and hiring 15 Europeans to come and evaluate, he can make the L-39 do whatever he wants on the day, basically. Yeah. Amazing stuff. Then they had a long ease. You know the, the little long ease aeroplane? It's a, a little home book with a cannon on the front. It's a small okay. home book. Yeah. Anyway, they made it a drone. So now they're training drone pilots, test pilots, in a, in a room somewhere. They have to have a pilot. The Canadians won't let them fly with a, uh, just as a drone. There's got to be a pilot sitting in it. Which is fine. But he gets everyone and then flies this drone thing around, you know? It, and then the next day, I read a couple of days the weather was while the guys were training. He said, You must come and see our mixed reality simulators. And we go to this, and it's a big room with about, I would have seen it, at least six F 18 cockpits. And it's, you know, like I've got my um, uh, setup here, my virtual reality. Now, that's what it is, but it's on steroids. So now, with my one, I have to link the controls, like undercarriage and that type of thing. I bind it to my, my controls. That one there, they can actually touch everything in the cockpit. So I climbed into this thing, and I can fly it. So now they're teaching strategic test, uh, if you are called test pilots, strategic test pilots. And they're doing that now, a lot with the uh, Turkish, I think, they're using it. And also a lot of the Malaysian, the Indian, the, um, Far East countries with their Sukhois and their MiG-29s and all that sort of stuff. They can train them on this, this aircraft. So that was fascinating as well, to fly this aircraft. 
And um, there's just so much, so much stuff going on there, you know. It was very, very interesting, the whole exercise. And um, so we, so eventually I stayed there. I was only supposed to stay there two weeks. But Georgia at one stage said, listen, we'll have you as a backup. So I was there actually four weeks in, in all. And um, it, it, what was nice for me as well, being, an, being a technician to start with, when I wasn't flying, I was out there with the guys, with the engineers, and uh, um, just enjoying what they were doing and yeah. learning from them. And even to the extent we were working with them, with that, I told you about air conditioning. We went flying one day, and it was so hot in the cockpit, we thought the air conditioning had broken down. <laughs> and it wasn't because now we're working, and basically we're working in manual, not in an emergency. And what it worked out is we went we, to make it work you've actually got to select it and hold it there for a while to let it cool down or let it heat up and so between the engineers and myself we had a bit of a check and we come up with a potentiometer or some sort of indicator to show you where the valve was so all you had to do was then move the switch the emergency switch if you want to call it that to the valve position and then you get the temperature is going to be perfect again mm-hmm. so the whole interaction between everyone there and it, I mean everyone was it was just I can't emphasize enough how easy it was, how pleasant the guys were. And uh, Georgia's wife, um, Beverly, her name is, she's very much involved in coming to the crew room, because a lot of guys there, we, sometimes in the crew room would be, would be things doing every round, there'd be 30 guys in there, you know, having tea, right. Or, right. and everyone, all different nationalities, all speaking English, of course. <laughs> but, uh, but she was there, she'd organise the fooding, and just the whole atmosphere was just really relaxed for a very professional outfit. <clears throat> I did mention at one stage, but all I saw... It took a week for Tiago to write the report on our first flight. Wow, okay. <laughs> and I just said to him once, I'm glad I was never smart enough to be a test pilot because <laughs> there's a lot of, lot of scribing to go on. But the guys are dedicated. And sitting where I was sitting, and it was for me it was a fighter pilot paradise because I was sitting here, I guess the guy was on holiday. Next to me was a MiG-29 pilot, a Romanian. A real character. His wife was also a test pilot, helicopter test pilot. Wow. He was a, a bit just a character like the, 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 the people from Balkan Zari, but really full of nonsense. Tiago was next to him, a Brazilian, as, as, as the project pilot for the hunter. Then there was another guy next another Brazilian next to him. And over the way were a couple of English guys, helicopter pilots, Israeli helicopter pilot, F-16, um, Elaine, who was the wow. F-16. Yeah, just brains, you know, and just... Yeah. Talking to this guy, talking, for example, talking, I've always loved the drop and I love the look of the drop and, and to be able to speak to someone who actually flew one, you know, it was, mm-hmm. it was just really so fascinating. But come back to the end of it, all of it, I've just, I only went there to be the oldest hunter pilot flying in the world, Mike. <laughs> I mean, that is absolutely incredible. Uh, but to wrap up this piece, because uh, I don't, you haven't really mentioned it, I want to know what was it like first getting back in that hunter for the first time? Did it all just come and flooding back? Uh, like, what was it like? I know the controls were different and the systems, but it must have been incredible, Steve. Well, the first thing is you, I think you mentioned to me once before, right? The smell. It's the same. Smell, yes. Yeah, it's the same smell. It was. It was just, uh, it probably took me until the second flight and so I really, I remember saying to you, you know, I'm in heaven here. This is just, to be able to think that I'm flying this hunter again at this age of my life is just amazing. I didn't get to do a lot of the flying. The controls, of course, were very different. They were like an F-35, basically, on the right-hand side. And the instruments were all on that side. And actually, after the second flight, we had a big meeting of all the technical guys and everything. And I said to him, you've really got to be able to change one, bring one of those instruments into front of this guy here, even though he's not operating the aircraft. If anything happened, 
There's no way. I actually did one circuit, um, and it was really difficult to try and look across to the instruments which are on the other panel mm. and to try and get the speeds and everything. So from that point of view, it was it was very different. But just sitting in there, having that noise, having that acceleration, it wasn't. I, it, I could even though I hadn't flown a hunter for twenty years, I could feel it wasn't the same thump we got out of the big engine one. But still, it was the hunter, you know. And we started going to watch them coming in and doing go rounds and even. It's just, a, everyone used to come out and watch it. It's just a beautiful airplane to be around again. You know? it's, and that's why I sent you all the photos. You see how many times I've flown this airplane, and it never gets, it never get tired of it. You know? It's just an amazing airplane. Absolutely amazing airplane. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's still an absolute beauty. Um, but I have seen like, a few photos. Um, I think I had the traditional round nose, but I've seen, um, I think, one or two photos with a, a sort of, Corn pointed nose. What's all that about? Yes. I think that's what he. I th even now, I think he wants that. The guys, when they bought it, they put it on. It, I think it. I don't know the last time it flew. It came from Sweden. That's where it was. That's where he mm. bought them. He bought two. He bought two T sevens um, from Sweden, and the ones there as spare. And he put that nose in, and I, I believe he still wants that nose. I'm, I'm not convinced. I'm not sure of that, but the guys. Managed to get the old nose back on again, and it actually probably will stay. Um, it depends on Georgia himself how he wants to end up. I, I prefer it with the original nose person. Yes, as opposed to the pointy one. Yeah. When yeah, I yeah. first, in fact, when I first got the photograph of the aircraft, this is before that. When they asked me to do the talk with them way back in the beginning, that was the photo the, 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 the nose I saw. I'd actually envisage going across to watch the first flight. Would you believe it? Because I get I, I flew with quite, I still get cheap flights. So my friend Lawrence is that he said, "Yeah, come across. You can come stay with me. What's the first flight?" Never thinking that I'd actually be in the first flight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, incredible, and yeah, I'm very jealous. I mean, that's that's an incredible. <laughs> like, you're never going to forget this experience, yeah. there, Steve. But uh, one last question for me before we wrap up. <clears throat> Apologies. <clears throat> Did you ever get to hear the blue note on the Hunter again? Um, you remember, not there, because that's only got two guns, and that, I'm not sure, that's not configured that way, they've got no guns or anything like that, but the, as I understand it, Mike, the blue note comes from the four guns. Okay, it's organ, right. It's, it's an organ pipe sound. Yeah. So, it's got to be the right speed. The last time I heard one was actually at the Campbell in 2001, at the, when there were 15. Oh, yes, one. yes, yeah. And the one... The, the Swiss are doing these very fancy maneuvers, type of thing, and eventually, I think it was... Uh, Wade came across and he's misdemeanor, but he got this, and the guy in front of me said, "That's what I came for. I wanted to hear that." <laughs> now, as I understand it, it's a, it's a, there were a couple of things that came out of it. Georgia, when he first saw me, he's, he'd seen my interview on with, with yours or whatever. And he said, "You flew the Mirage C," and I said, "Yes." He said, "I want one." <laughs> <laughs> now they. We, we, I've looked for a while to see. There are a couple not available. There are a couple around. But the, the wonderful thing about it, if you manage to get one, is that Canadians will require that the pilot who's flown the mirror seat to sit in the back seat. What's going to happen? Another thing, when I went back from that flight, a chap who's got two hunters in South Africa, he to, the bus was one single-seater and a two-seater. And suddenly he got hold of me, he said, listen, have you got an instructor rating on that thing? I said, yes. He said, I've co-owned with another guy. He's a pilot. He owns an airline there. And he said he wants to learn to fly the hunter. You know, would you be able to 
accommodate. I said, yes. <laughs> so they're trying to get me a validation now. To, so once again, you never know, right? It's It keeps on going, you know? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It, is, it, was, it was nothing, I, let's put it this way. I never felt anywhere out of the depth in any shape or form. And the, the way getting in the cockpit, getting out of the cockpit, moving in the cockpits, flying the aircraft, nothing that felt uncomfortable. And in fact, as time went on, I felt more and more comfortable, if I could say that, more and more comfortable that I was where really, I should be tapping. So I'd be happy to do it all over again, whatever, you know. So it's just yeah. a wonderful experience. Yeah, wonderful experience. Brilliant yeah. stuff. But can we find uh, ITPS online to follow their journey? Do they have a website, social media, anything like yes. that? Yes. And, yeah, I think if you just Google IT, I think I've done it. ITPS, it'll come up as a website, yes. And I can't say enough about the place. Um, the professionalism, the whole thing was just amazing. You know, uh, it was... It was just like, it would like being back in the airline in a way. You know, how everything just works as it should do. And they yeah. do everything, they don't cut corners or anything like that. But also the humility, which I couldn't really get over. Because I th- it was just, everyone was just so down to earth, if I can say that, you know. It was it was really, really good. Yeah, fantastic experience. Yeah. Great stuff. Well, Steve, thank you very much for coming back on the show and sharing your story. I'm sure people go and uh, check out ITPS and follow their story because it sounds fascinating. But uh, thanks very much, mate. No, you're welcome. Right? Anytime. If I can spread their word a bit, that'll be good for them as well. That's great. Thanks a lot, Mike. Cheers. You take care. Hope your call is better soon. <laughs> <laughs>